0: In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. It's so wonderful to be home and to be back with you after these past couple weeks away. Jeannie, Jonathan, and I met up with my brother and his family in Yellowstone, and then we ended up working our way down to the Grand Canyon, hitting just about every national park that we could along the way. It was a great trip. It was also a lasting reminder of just how awesome nature and the power of God's creation can be. Some of the things we saw truly left us feeling like we were on another planet. And that doesn't even count the one night we spent in Vegas. (laughs) And while it was pretty honestly pretty wonderful to literally be disconnected from the outside world, because there were many days without any cell phone reception at all. It was also nearly impossible to escape some of the headlines that came up. The past weeks have not been easy for many of us, and there might very well be more challenging days ahead but I'm so very thankful to be part of this community where differences of opinion can be discussed and explored instead of being silenced or pushed aside. I thank God for that each and every day. It's also really nice to come home to this familiar story we heard in the gospel reading. I mean, the story of the Good Samaritan is one of those classic Jesus stories that we all know, word for word. But that also means that as a preacher, I know that everyone in this room already has a pretty good idea about what the story is trying to tell us. And so I've been struggling a bit, trying to think of a different angle with which to approach it. Have you ever heard of the term backhanded compliments? You probably know what I'm talking about, kind of the comment that on the surface appears to praise something, but then has a little insult at the end. I love how you don't really care about your appearance. Or that's, that's a surprisingly good idea. Bless your heart. Right? Or my personal favorite, you're really funny for a priest. <laughs> You could argue that the phrase the good Samaritan falls into this category. Because when you take a step back, to call the Samaritan who stopped and tended that wounded man on the side of the road good is really saying he's a great guy. Poor Samaritan. It's a backhanded compliment that actually criticizes an entire race of people. Imagine if the man was, say, from Guatemala, and this was the parable of the good Latino. That would imply that most Latinos are bad or evil in some way, but this one's an exception. As hard as it is to imagine, this one particular Guatemalan man is a good Latino. That would be really racist to say. And Jesus, I don't think would be very pleased with that kind of characterization. Now, you'll also note that not once does Jesus ever refer to the Samaritan man as the good Samaritan. But this is how the parable has been handed down to us. One of Jesus's most popular stories has been saddled with this title that he never used and probably never would have used. But still, Jews and Samaritans had this long history of enmity. They saw each other as religious heretics. Their armies had battled. They wanted nothing to do with one another. So the identities of those involved in this parable really do matter. It's actually what makes this such a radical story. It would still be a nice lesson about compassion if we didn't know the nationalities or the religious affiliations of those who were involved, but we do. And the fact that the Samaritans and Jews hated each other so much is what really packs the parabolic punch, especially as the original audience, like Jesus himself, was Jewish. Now I recognize this really isn't the standard way to relate to the story. This is one of those crossover parables that's infiltrated our society as a whole. when the phrase Good Samaritan is used by both religious and non-religious folks alike, usually to describe someone who's done a good deed or someone who's gone out of their way to help someone. The guy who stops and helps a stranded motorist on 565 is a good Samaritan. Or the woman who brings a lost child to the security folks at Point Mallard is called a good Samaritan. But when we only think about a good Samaritan as a do-gooder, we've effectively domesticated a powerful, multi-layered story of what it means to embody God's love across deep cultural and racial divides. We don't really do justice to Jesus's deeper, challenging lesson. Often, when we hear such story-based parables, we Consciously or subconsciously, put ourselves into the story and view that story from a particular viewpoint, don't we? I don't know about you, but it's easy for us to identify with the Samaritan in this story. And I think that's probably the default way many people do. We want to see ourselves as the hero. I'm a good person, we tell ourselves. Despite all of our personal faults or our blindness, to and complicity in things, we want everyone to know that at our core, we are good people. I mean, we're in church, right? But if we're honest with ourselves, more often than not, maybe we play the role of the priest and the Levite, the ones who might walk right on past that suffering man in the ditch. And that's where this parable really gets challenging that's where it turns from a sweet sunday school story about helping others to one that actually convicts us because while we have all gone out of our way to help others on occasion it's usually not the norm if it were there would be no need for jesus to tell the story if concern for others was the default mode of the human condition, rather than the inward-looking self-centeredness, this parable would not be necessary. And if reaching across the great divide to help those who don't look like us or act like us or even like us was the way we normally interacted with others, we wouldn't need this parable. But it's not. So we do. Leaving our comfort zones to help others is often the exception, not the rule. Which is precisely why Jesus tells this compelling story in the first place. And why he chooses the Samaritan as the hero of a story told to a Jewish audience. I'm not exactly sure what the modern equivalent might be Maybe the Samaritan would be an immigrant who stops by to help someone who had just attended a rally at which immigrants were demonized and dehumanized. Or perhaps the Samaritan might be a gay man, binding up the wounds of an evangelical pastor who had been spewing hate from the pulpit. Who knows? But the point is that the surprising juxtaposition of Samaritan and Jew would have been both jarring and shocking to Jesus' original hearers. And this mind-blowing, boundary-busting parable actually transcends the nice, feel-good story that's often portrayed. As the Samaritan traveled along that road to Jericho and witnessed the man, we hear that he was moved with pity. Other translations say he had compassion on him. But it moves beyond mere pity or compassion. He saw the man's humanity, not his ethnicity or his politics or his religious views. He traveled down the road that day. He saw the man wounded by using the x-ray vision of divine compassion looking past exterior difference and right into the very heart of a physically broken fellow child of God. Perhaps the man in the ditch was in the priest and Levite's thoughts and prayers as they passed on by, but the Samaritan is moved to action. He binds up his wounds, takes him to an end, takes care of him and provides for his continued healing. That is faith in action, not just faith in theory. The thing is, true faith cannot be beholden to outward appearances or deeply held worldviews. As much as we want to believe that eternal life is reserved for our kind, that's not how it works. Much to the chagrin of so many of us with those deeply held worldviews. But that's what started this whole thing in the first place, isn't it? The lawyer's question about what one must do to inherit eternal life. As it often does with Jesus, it all comes down to two things loving God and loving neighbor. So simple. Yet so hard and the ongoing spiritual challenge of our lives. And so I'll end this morning with the same prayer that St. Paul prayed for that new and struggling community of believers in Colise. I pray that we all may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that we all may lead lives worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Amen.